Volume Three, Chapter Four, Part Two of The Mummy: A Tale of the Twenty-Second Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mummy: A Tale of the Twenty-Second Century by Jane Loudon, Volume Three, Chapter Four, Part Two. Whilst the old man thus lamented, a bustle was heard among the crowd and the noble lords of whom it was composed dividing made way for elvira with glowing cheeks and sparkling eyes the queen walked proudly along the lane made for her having a roll of parchment in her hand and with dignity took her seat upon the vacant throne a solemn silence prevailed the conspirators were awed by the sudden appearance of their sovereign and those who had hitherto remained neutral surprised stood hesitating and knowing how to act elvira paused a few seconds sternly surveying the crowd and finding that no one attempted to speak she exclaimed how now my lords what means this silence i came to assist your counsels not to interrupt them go on i pray you for surely such enlightened senators can have no sentiments they fear to breathe before the queen we were surprised at the sudden appearance of your majesty said the duke of exeter as from the report of your majesty's physicians we had feared your majesty's illness my illness was of the mind my lord duke said elvira and this is the medicine that has cured it look my lords continued she unrolling the parchment she carried and suddenly flashing it before their eyes behold my panacea now i am indeed a queen for my people have made me absolute and abolishing all laws have placed their lives and fortunes at my feet lord gustavus and his adherents stood aghast gazing upon the queen and the parchment she held so triumphantly without the power of uttering a word ere this continued the queen the purport of this parchment has received some thousand signatures yet i do not wish to abuse my power go my lords i have no longer occasion for your counsels when i have i will summon you the dignified manner in which elvira waved her hand as she said this prevented reply and the lords of the council dispersed without daring to utter a single syllable the duke and sir ambrose alone remained my dear father cried elvira throwing her arms round his neck whilst the overstrained feelings that had so long supported her gave way and she sobbed in agony upon his shoulder remove her to her chamber said dr coleman who now appeared this agitation will destroy her her exhausted frame is not able to endure it in fact the queen was now completely overpowered and was carried off by emma and her attendants in violent hysterics lord maysworth had not been present at this scene for his time had been otherwise engaged and to explain what occupied him it will be necessary to go back to the prison of prince ferdinand it may be recollected when Chaos removed clara he had informed the prince that lord maysworth and father murphy would be with him in a few hours the mamma's information was correct for at the appointed time they came oh said father murphy and where's clara so they've let me in after all you see for knowing lord maysworth was your friend i went to consult him and when he talked to them and told them how barbarous it was to deny a poor fellow that was just going to be burnt alive the consolations of religion they hadn't the heart to refuse me oh groaned prince ferdinand is there no hope of escape 
"'I fear not,' said Lord Maysworth, "'for notwithstanding the enormous expense attending public executions, "'the people are so fond of them that it is necessary to indulge them now and then, "'and they are so devoted to Lord Edmund that his adversary has no chance. "'Besides, they say there are plenty of witnesses to prove that you have addressed the most impassioned language to the Queen.' "'Your enthusiasm one night at her singing.' "'I remember,' cried Prince Ferdinand. "'Idiot that I was. "'Oh, curses on my folly!' "'Oh, that's right,' exclaimed Father Murphy. "'Indulge yourself a little, my honey, and it will do you good. "'I don't know a prettier amusement than cursing and swearing "'and finding fault when one's in trouble, "'and I'd be far from denying you a little harmless indulgence, "'for as you are to die so soon, "'it would be cruel, you know, "'not to let you have all the consolation you can get hold of.' "'Oh!' exclaimed Prince Ferdinand. "'I am the most wretched of human beings.' "'And you may say that, "'for I don't see any great hope you have "'in respect that the people must have a victim, "'and they'd like to have you better than Lord Edmund.' "'But never mind that, for the worst that can happen at all "'is that you'll be roasted alive.' "'Oh!' groaned Prince Ferdinand, "'not much consoled by this encouraging speech. "'Behemir!' exclaimed Hans. "'And can nothing be done? "'For though roasting alive may be the worst that can happen, "'I don't think my master such an amateur in cookery "'as to wish to try the experiment.' "'Oh!' cried Father Murphy. "'And I'm quite of your opinion, and so.' If the prince would just try and get ready a word or two of defence, or if some clever person that knows the world, like your lordship, for instance, would just give him a word or two of advice, the thing would be done entirely and all right. Oh, cried the prince, clasping his hands together, save me, I implore you to save me. I will do all I can, said Lord Maysworth, smiling most graciously. Rely upon me, prince. The suggestion of the Holy Father shall be attended to. The gratitude I owe your father demands my greatest exertions, and I am most happy to have an opportunity of serving his son. This worthy father's plan is excellent. I wonder it did not strike me before. Confide securely in me, Prince. A proper defence shall be prepared, and I think by it you may escape. So saying, he retired, leaving Prince Ferdinand somewhat consoled by his assurances, but by no means reconciled even to the possibility of being roasted alive. The intermediate time between this conversation and the day fixed for the trial of the prince was spent by Lord Maysworth in preparing, with the assistance of those learned in the law, this defence, and, when it was finished, his rapture was beyond description. Three times did he read it over, with still increasing satisfaction, for, as he considered it as his own production, he regarded it with all the true, yet indescribable rapture of a doting parent. We are all so fond of our own children, whether of the mind or of the body, regarding them as emanations from ourselves, upon which we may indulge our self-love without the grossness of undisguised vanity that the transport of Lord Maysworth is not surprising though he actually carried it so far that, notwithstanding his professed attachment and gratitude to the German emperor, I believe, if the means of procuring the prince's escape had been offered to him, he would rather have let him stay at the risk of being burned alive than have lost the pleasure he anticipated on hearing the delivery of his speech. The important day arrived, and the prince, accompanied by his faithful Hans and Lord Maysworth, proceeded on the court the latter carrying his beloved brief in his own pocket, 
rightly considering it far too estimable to be entrusted into any other hands than his the court was crowded to an excess for strange tales of the passion and illness of the queen had gone forth into the world each edition more wonderful than that which went before it and the people now thronged to see the prince with that extraordinary feeling so common amongst the english which makes them stare at a great man in much the same way as they would at a wild beast an automaton judge sat with great dignity upon a magnificent throne looking though a little heavy quite as wise and sagacious as judges are wont to look a real jury that is a jury of flesh and blood was ranged upon one side of him and some automaton counsel sat in front their briefs lying upon the table before them and having behind each a clerk ready to wind him up when he should be wanted to speak it being found that the profession of the law gives such an amazing volubility of words that it was dangerous to wind up the council too soon lest they should go off in the wrong place and so disturb the silence of the court in different parts of this council were holes into which briefs being put they were gradually ground to pieces as the council were being wound up till they came forth in words at the mouth whilst the language in which the council pleaded depended entirely upon the hole into which the brief was put there being a different one for every possible tongue all now was ready the prisoner with his friends placed themselves at the bar and the judge and jury prepared to hear and decide with all due decorum the signal to begin was given and the brief for the crown being put into the english department of the council appointed to conduct the prosecution the clerk began to wind away and in a few minutes the counsel burst forth in the following impassioned strain of eloquence my lord and gentlemen of the jury it is with feelings of the most unfaint regret that i now rise to address you sensible oh how deeply sensible am i of my insufficiency and of the much greater competency of any one of my learned brethren at the bar and how willingly would i resign the task to any one of those eloquent gentlemen feeling so indisputably convinced as i do of their eminent talents and their merit and of their great oh how much greater fitness for an undertaking of this magnitude than myself ha ah, es ist ausmitunz wir sind verloren cried hans if thou art so unfit for the task i wonder why the deuce they employed thee peace fool said the prince do you not see that this is only the exordium these are words of course the orator had paused for an instant from some error of his machinery but his clerk setting him in motion again he went on as follows but having been deputed to act i will not shrink from the arduous duty imposed upon me i will therefore state the principal points of the case prove my facts by witnesses and then leave the decision to the well-known judgment and penetration of the enlightened and intelligent tribunal before me it was here intended the counsel should bow to the court but owing to his defective machinery he only gave a kind of jerk and then continued my lord and gentlemen it sometimes falls to the lot of members of my profession to relate astounding circumstances and soul-harrowing facts facts which pierce into the inmost souls of their auditors and rend their tortured spirits by their iron fangs 
as the teeth of the tangible harrows pierce into and rend asunder the clods of inanimate earth over which they are dragged but what i shall have to tell you gentlemen will make even facts like these hide their diminished heads and run skulking into corners like owls trembling and flying hooting away on being exposed to the scorching glare of the noonday sun do you not tremble gentlemen do not your hearts pant in breathless expectation of what is coming indulge your anticipations bid fancy take her wildest flight and let imagination conjure up all the horrors of the infernal regions paint the angel of death hovering upon leathern wings over a devoted city and shrieking mothers imploring mercy in vain for their murdered children paint all the multiplied horrors of famine fire and carnage paint miserable starving wretches screaming wildly for food and in the agonies of despair gnawing the flesh from their own withering bones paint flames surrounding with their pointed arms a helpless family crying in bitter anguish for the aid which cannot be afforded them paint witches celebrating their detested sabbath imagine demons indulging in their infernal revels yes paint and picture to yourself all this and ten thousand other horrors each more frightful than the last dwell upon them let them haunt your imagination but whatever you may fancy picture or paint nothing can ever equal the horror you will feel when you learn the crime of which the prisoner at the bar stands accused know then my tongue falters as i speak and my quivering lips almost refuse to give utterance to the appalling sounds know that he has dared impiously and presumptuously dared to fall in love with a queen i see your indignation at such baseness i feel the virtuous shame that burns upon every cheek yes yes my friends i too am an englishman and i like you spurn with disdain the thought of submitting to a stranger what do we want with the king has not the country been happy prosperous and flourishing respected at home and honoured abroad all under the mild dominion of a queen yes yes my friends it has and under her gentle sway the murderous weapon of war has been converted into a ploughshare the nodding helmet and ponderous corslet into the peaceful wig and graceful gown and the grim aspect of frowning ruin and grinning desolation into the bewitching smiles of benignant peace and overwhelming plenty long long may peace continue to shed her benignant smiles upon us long long may we sit beneath the grateful shade of her olive branches and long long may the feathery foliage hang in graceful festoons above our heads and their pale green wreaths encircle our brows for in the arms of peace lie joy ease and happiness her smile gives health and contentment and her blessing wealth and what threatens to affright this enchanting deity from our shores tis this audacious stranger who deserves the bitterest punishment for his unparalleled atrocity but this is not all not as satisfied with endeavouring to destroy the happiness of the kingdom and overturn the laws enacted by the wisdom of our ancestors he has done more yes intolerable as his crimes have been there is still one more deadly behind 
shudder my friends and turn away your eyes as the fear-inspiring words drop from my tongue he has dared to draw arms within the precincts of the regional palace insufferable audacity hear this you shades of former royalty and tremble in your elysian groves at the profane hand which has dared thus boldly to invade your august privileges can it be believed will after ages credit the report oh no no the fact will appear too monstrous for even credulity itself to swallow when the crime the fatal crime was committed earth trembled beneath his feet the winds hushed their murmurs and all nature stood aghast the frightened ocean receded from its rocky bed pluto rushed shivering from his nether throne and neptune waved in vain his tranquillizing trident the elements were convulsed lightning streamed from the swords of the combatants and thunder rolled above their heads as they stood like two heroes of arabian fiction yielding the elements in their wrath but i have done my lord and gentlemen i say no more for i scorn to prejudice your minds against the prisoner or make the slightest appeal to your feelings to condemn him however this i must say that if ever a case could rouse every nerve of a true-born englishman against it it is this does any man dread to be torn from the calm delights of his comfortable fireside where he was surrounded by his adoring wife and attentive children and doomed to incur all the wretchedness of misery and want let him condemn the prisoner does any man dread being dragged across burning sands or forced to wade up to the knees in water through marshy deserts let him condemn the prisoner would any man shudder to be obliged to sleep upon the hard cold ground his limbs racked with rheumatism and his body exposed to all the vicissitudes of hunger thirst and inclement seasons whilst his life is endangered every instant let him condemn the prisoner but if he prefer these horrors to the comforts of a warm down bed or if he enjoy the prospect of having his substance devoured by tax-gatherers to support the expenses of a foreign war then let the prisoner be acquitted but unless he can make up his mind to undergo privations like these let him aid by his vote to condemn the wretch who and here the orator stopped abruptly being quite gone down he had indeed uttered the last words gradually slower and slower and at lengthened intervals because the attendant clerk had unfortunately given him a turn too little and had not screwed him up quite tight enough the witnesses were now called several spoke to the circumstance of the extravagant admiration expressed by the prince of elvira's singing others deposed to the fact of the combat and others mentioned the queen's sighing in obstruction but the principal one distinctly stated that he had heard the prince make the queen an offer of his hand in the gardens of the somerset house and that she had consented to marry him if she could obtain the consent of her people a general thrill of indignation ran through the court at this evidence and it was with difficulty that silence was obtained for the pleading of the defendant at last all was still and the attentant clerk began to wind up the counsel for the prince lord maysworth watched the moment
but being afraid to trust his beloved brief into any hands but his own unfortunately in his agitation he popped into the wrong hall and when the council began to speak he burst forth in french words are wanting to express lord maysworth's unutterable consternation at this unfortunate accident stop stop cried he hush hush can nobody stop him but the inexorable council would not stop for once wound up and properly set in motion not all the powers of heaven and earth combined could stop him till he had fairly run down what shall i do cried lord maysworth in an agony of despair for if the judge and jury don't understand french my fine oration will be utterly lost oh if that be all said the clerk your lordship need not distress yourself for as soon as i found that was going on i ran up to the judge and pulled out his lordship's french stop and the gentlemen of the jury oh they all understand french it is well said lord maysworth though i am still sorry the whole happened to be french as i am afraid the verbosity of the language may deteriorate the strength of my expressions thus muttered the noble lord not sorry however i believe if the whole truth were to be openly declared that he had an excuse in the change of languages for the failure of his speech if it should not happen to meet with that brilliant success that he felt so perfectly confident it deserved the council in the meantime went on the following is a translation of his speech my lord and gentlemen of the jury it is with feelings of considerable diffidence and hesitation that i rise to address you after the flood of eloquence which has poured from my learned brother i gentlemen am not gifted with such an enviable facility of speech nor is my imagination endowed with that creative power he has so forcibly displayed i cannot gentlemen like him uprear the club of hercules for what to crush a butterfly or brain a nut nor have i the least intention of drawing either neptune or pluto from the quiet nap they have been taking for so many centuries to assist in our debate i assure you also gentlemen that i shall neither disturb the ocean from its rocky bed nor make nature stand aghast no my lord and gentlemen my intentions are perfectly pacific and your harassed imaginations may repose tranquilly upon my speech after the tumultuous one of my learned brother as the wayworn traveller rests peaceably upon the soft green turf after having been tossed about upon the heaving billows of the tempestuous ocean tis sweet to rest from dread of danger free and mark the billows of the foaming sea tis sweet a little skiff to safely urge through the tempestuous ocean's boiling surge to hear the pattering rains against the roof and feel your hospitable mansion proof but sweeter far the troubled mind's repose when of a speech like this it hears the close when i listened to the powerful exordium of my learned friend and i did listen to him with the most profound attention i confess my imagination was too highly excited to be satisfied with so lame and impotent a conclusion what cried i have the laws of nature been reversed have demons been disturbed in their infernal revels and witches called from their dusky caverns merely because a beautiful woman has excited a tender passion in the breast of a youthful stranger is this so extraordinary an occurrence that it should create such excessive wonder are our hearts so dead to beauty that such a catastrophe should occasion surprise forbid it heaven no whilst our hearts still throb in our bosoms 
may they ever beat responsive to the attractions of the fair may we never become insensible to the charms of the loveliest objects of creation may we ever own their witchery and bend beneath their magic sway or man degraded man would soon sink below the level of the brutes view man as he degenerates when secluded from the influence of female society is he not rough brutal and unpolished does he not want all those winning graces and those delicate attentions which form so undeniably the charm and solace of life in proportion as our sensibility as our goodness and all the best feelings of our nature are awakened we become susceptible of love it is indeed excessive sensibility and a kindly feeling to our fellow-creatures that creates it does there exist a generous or noble mind that has not felt this passion no not one there is indeed something generous and ennobling in it we cannot prefer the welfare of another to our own nor be completely absorbed in another's being with the devotedness of true love without becoming purified in our ideas and raised from that disgusting selfishness which is ever the inspirer of base and mean actions yes love indeed is light from heaven a spark of that immortal fire with angels shared by allah given to lift from earth our low desire devotion wafts the mind above but heaven itself descends in love and from this heavenly this inspiring feeling shall my unfortunate client be debarred hear me you shades of heroic lovers who though dying for the hopeless object of your passion have still exclaimed with the enthusiastic devotion of a modern poet lead on lead on though horrors wait in awful fury round thy gate and danger death and grim despair forbid my hopeless passage there in love still smiling beckon on the path is past the gate is won and ye poets and philosophers who have painted love as the oasis of the desert the green spot in memory's waste where affection still lingers even when hope decays have you no compassion for my unhappy client whose only fault was that she was beautiful and he not blind and is this an offence for which a man deserves to be burned alive forbid it humanity forbid it mercy no no such inhuman cruelty exists not in the breasts of englishmen i know i feel that you must acquit my client on this head but this is not the only charge brought against him he is accused of having violated the sanctity of a royal palace by drawing his sword within its precinct to describe the enormity of this crime my learned friend has brought forward such an overwhelming torrent of eloquence that unhappily his meaning was swept away in the current of his words at least i suppose so as with all my industry i have been totally unable to find it as however i cannot imagine my learned friend could have harangued so long without having some meaning in what he said i suppose it has slipped undiscovered into some sly corner where it lies poor thing quite concealed and almost crushed to death by the ponderous weight of metaphors heaped upon it gentlemen my client drew his sword in the royal garden this is the plain statement of the fact when stripped of the load of ornaments with which my learned friend has encumbered it 
my client a stranger to the english laws and customs chanced to be walking in the public garden belonging to a royal palace he there met a nobleman of the court from causes irrelevant to the question before us high words took place between them my client was grossly insulted in a manner impossible to be borne by a man calling himself a gentleman or making the least pretensions to honour he drew his sword to defend himself can anything be more simple and yet for this all created nature is thrown into confusion and neptune and pluto called shivering from their beds gentlemen my learned friend's brain was teeming with the monstrous conception and longing to be delivered he dragged it into the speech with which we have just been favoured not satisfied with piercing us through with the fangs of a mental harrow plunging us into all the disasters of war and distracting our imaginations by exhibiting the combined effects of plague pestilence and famine he has entangled in his snares these unfortunate deities whom he has forced to upper earth to bear witness on his behalf i am afraid very much against their wills nothing indeed can be more distressing than to see an unfortunate thought thus hunted through the meandering of a sentence a crowd of unmeaning words like a pack of hungry dogs pressing close at its back till at last worn out and completely exhausted it sinks feebly away and gives up the ghost so quietly that no one can reasonably imagine what can possibly have become of it thus it was with the argument of my learned friend it has vanished amidst the bustle he created around it one thing more my lord and gentlemen and i have done for i shall not like my learned friend after disclaiming all intentions of appealing to your feelings endeavour by an artful peroration to come home to your inmost souls it is simply this that my client is a stranger the son of a powerful foreign monarch and of course as he has never taken any oath of allegiance to the english government he is not amenable to the english laws after stating this fact i sit down confidently assured that your verdict will be in my favour and that by it you will again vindicate the proud right you have so long and so gloriously maintained of acting always as enlightened and free-born englishmen as the orator sat down a tumult of applause rang through the hall and the delight of lord maysworth can be only justly appreciated by an author who recollects what he felt when he first heard of the success of a favourite work but he had little time for exultation as the judge having been wound up in his turn now began to sum up the evidence slowly and heavily did he go on the machinery that composed him wanting oil and creaking ominously as it moved whilst ere he had half finished a cry was heard through the outer court and instantly a rush of people announced the arrival of the queen after the exertions made by elvira the previous day her fever returned and she lay insensible to everything that passed till she was restored to recollection by the tolling of a deep-toned bell which was always set in motion the moment a prisoner was put upon his defence she heard the solemn sound distinctly the court where state criminals were tried adjoined the palace in order that the queen might have an opportunity of hearing appeals or deciding on any difficult case that might arise though as offences against the state had been very rare in the female dynasty whether from the goodness of the people or the severity of the punishment i leave it for my readers to determine the privilege had been seldom called in action and the bell now grated harshly as it tolled elvira however had heard of the custom and its cause flashed instantly upon her mind as she started from her bed and listened to the solemn sound as it fell slowly and heavily upon her ear 
every knell seeming to strike upon the naked nerve. "'Emma!' cried she. "'Let me go, quick, let me save him, or I shall be too late!' Emma obeyed, but whilst she was attiring her mistress, every moment seemed an age, and Elvira listened to the heavy tolling bell till the sense of hearing became agony, and, unable to endure any more, she pressed her hands firmly against her ears to shut out the dreaded sound. At length she was ready, and, hurrying to the court, arrived just at the critical moment I have mentioned. "'Stop!' cried she. "'I command you to stop proceedings. The prisoner is free.' My people have given me a right to pardon all offences, and I thus first exercise it. Set him free. The guards obeyed, and it not being possible to stop the automaton judge till he had run down, he was carried out of court, repeating, for it happened he was summing up the evidence at that moment, and the queen said she loved him, and would sacrifice even her life for his sake. "'You are free, sir,' said Elvira to the prince. I only blush that a stranger should have been so inhospitably treated in my court. My illness, however, must plead my excuse, and I can only now show my sorrow by releasing you from the parole of honour you have given. You are absolutely free, prince, not only from these chains, but also to leave the kingdom whenever you shall think fit. The prince, in a transport of gratitude, knelt and kissed her hand, and then retired with his friends to the house of Lord Maysworth whilst Elvira, satisfied with herself, and hoping she had disarmed scandal by desiring the prince to quit the kingdom, returned to her palace, more happy than she had felt, since the fatal combat in the garden. End of chapter 4, part 2 of volume 3